Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 19th of September and joining me for this edition are audio reviewer Ed Selly. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And assistant editor Steve Weathers. Now I'm doing this because I'm an eccentric millionaire. Hello, welcome to the podcast on a, 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 it's a Friday that we record this and at the moment looking outside the window it looks like uh, mid-November, it's grey over, it's pouring the rain and we had a spectacular thunderstorm last night. Nature really does have the best subwoofers. Um, <laughs> I'm just, and, uh, and the overhead speakers are quite good too. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, the immersive effect. audio is superb. I mean, Dolby hasn't got a hope in hell ever getting close to that. I'm just looking at the laundry I forgot to bring in last night. <laughs> It's looking pretty sad. <laughs> Cock. It's quite nice here, actually. Sun's shining. It's not too bad. Back in 1784. <laughs> yeah. Let's move swiftly on and let's look at competitions. What can we win, Ed? Right. There is the uh, Stelgis Audio Mega Giveaway. Uh, the first prize is an ML30 HD amplifier. Second prize, NS3 active speakers with Bluetooth. And third prize, NS1 active speakers with Bluetooth. Um, I've actually got the ML30 HD amplifier here and the NS3 speakers here. I've been doing some preliminary listens to both. So there will be some information going up on those before the competition ends. I mean, obviously, you should enter it anyway. It's free stuff. But you'll have a more sort of nuanced view of what the stuff actually is. We'll get to the bottom of how the brand name's pronounced as well. Um, additionally, the speakers come in a choice of seven colours, and it's open to all members until the 30th of September. There is also an AK Racing gaming chair, uh, which sounds very exciting. And that's also open to all members, uh, and that also closes on the 30th of September. Excellent. Any previous winners? They are not. There never seems to be. There basically won't be until the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I've, I've, I've got to ask anyway, though, Steve, you know what I mean? Right, let's move on. Hardware news. Um, In uh, a way, we're all winners, aren't we? So, <laughs> Absolutely. So, Ed, um, you weren't here last week. Uh, the review is now up on AV Forums. If you want to go and read it, uh, the new iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. Um, I guess the big question for you, aimed at you is um, what about the headphone jack disappearing? I think people are going to be a bit disappointed about this, Phil, because I'm nowhere near as sort of worked up about this as I, I guess many people thought that me as a practicing Luddite might be. Um, it's a significant decision on Apple's behalf, but the premise of um, removing any form of analog transmission until it's within the body of the headphone or earphone is is really technically sound and offers enormous potential for uh, accurate, clear sound with the ability to tweak it depending on your environment and other things. So that in itself, I don't have any problems with that at all. Um, I think that going forward, it could be a really, really exciting development. What I'm a bit less excited about is that the company that's done it doesn't actually have a great track record in supporting um, interesting digital formats and, and pushing the envelope. Uh, so I don't necessarily think we're going to see anything immediately exciting in a sound point of view. That, I have to confess, is completely separate from other things that Apple might be doing with this proprietary wireless protocol of theirs. And the other thing that I have to say has annoyed me quite a bit more is that... Um, it, as well as the uh, the AirPod, uh, plenty of other wireless headphone and earphone options exist in the market, um, and they are improving all the time. Um, you only have to look at the review of the Sennheiser PXC 550 that's running on the on the site at the moment. That's a superbly well implemented Bluetooth headphone. The problem is that Apple, and I think this has to be considered entirely deliberately, has once again issued the iPhone 7 with pretty primitive bluetooth it doesn't have aptex it's not able to send a lossless signal that way um and this is really quite frustrating because 
Uh, companies like Noble, uh, a small earphone manufacturer, have produced um, a device which pairs to your phone by Bluetooth, then amplifies and, and connects to an earphone via a conventional three and a half mil jack. That would be completely perfect as far as I'm concerned, and it would work extremely well under those circumstances. But you're still limiting the actual bandwidth of what can be sent. Where I'm really worried, um, and I think Steve has mentioned this as well early, uh, when we're in discussions, uh, is that there's rumours that Samsung is also looking at introducing a proprietary headphone connection. Um, we really, really, really don't need that. Um, essentially, I think we could always rely upon Apple to go their own way, and the market will sort of accommodate that. But I had an off-the-record conversation with someone who works for a fairly large headphone and earphone manufacturer, and they were saying that's, to be honest, not a big deal because they can design products which will interchange between Lightning and USB-C cabling, which is brilliant because even if you're an Apple customer, that's going to allow you to use it with a MacBook in a way that you, you can't currently easily do with a, light, a pair of Lightning socket-equipped earphones. So that's fine. But if we then sort of degenerate into every man and his dog using their own headphone connection, that that's not good for anybody. Um, so, yes. Well, you see, I, I said last week, I think uh, Apple have played a blinder here because I think all the headphone manufacturers are... Um, rubbing their hands with glee because it opens up a whole new market area that they can now... Because, I mean, if you look at anything associated with Apple products like the iPad and the iPhone and so on, the accessory companies and the amount of money that can be made from accessories, like headphones, um, is massive. Yeah, it's a gigantic uh, ancillary market, isn't it? And uh, I don't know, personally, I, I don't really care about them dropping the the um, headphone jack, you know. just means an opportunity to go and buy some new toys. Um and like you said, Ed, I think a lot of it's moving towards wireless anyway. So people are probably using the uh, headphone jack less and less. I think a lot of people that are complaining are just complaining because people don't like change. But someone had to do it first. Uh, and I'm sure we'll find the next generation of um, mobile phones will probably drop, drop their headphone jacks and start using USB. Hopefully they won't go proprietary connectors, um, like you were just saying, because that's just a nightmare situation. You've got to accept the fact that Apple are always going to do their thing. And they're the exception to the rule. And unfortunately, Samsung of late seem to be trying to reinvent themselves as an Apple. And I don't think that's a good idea. I think a lot of the strength of Samsung's mobile products have been the fact that they have been Android-based and they have had expandable memories and they have had more useful connections. You know, they've, that, that's been the big appeal of those phones to a lot of people. Uh, and they aren't, you know, within us, they aren't sort of contained by um, by their own ecosystem the way that Apple products are. Um, so I, I would hate to see that happen because that would just cause chaos. But um, I think ultimately, you know, in a few years' time, people will be using either a digital connection or a wireless connection for their headphones, and then everyone will have forgotten about the Ferrari that's surrounded this at the moment. I do think that it's not quite as simple as that, though, because at the moment, obviously, this is very early days in a transitional process that Apple might be making. But nonetheless, a company that prides itself on the whole, it just works sort of philosophy you can't have one pair of earphones that you alternated between an iphone and a macbook pro um without some form of adapter and it's unclear to me i mean i'm, I'm i imagine it's pretty inevitable that um support for airpod will be added to osx it, i mean it would be foolish if they didn't um but um the i, I mean are they going to fit a lightning connector in addition to USB-C, or would it not, and this is, you know, epoch-making, given that Apple had a hand in the design of USB-C, 
would they just not be better off switching iPhone back to that um, and, you know, having a slightly more homogenous layout of products? Possibly. It's not lucky been their strong point, though, has it, doing that? I mean, no. I, once they make, once they move in a direction like dropping the old connector for the lightning connector in the first place, which everyone was up in arms about at the time, but everyone's kind of forgotten about now. Um, I think I think it's their, their style, is it really? They tend to just plough their own path. And I mean, they've always wanted that their products to be very, very controlled. And, and that's one of the things that I love about their products. I mean, I use an iMac and a, and a MacBook because I don't want to have the problems of things like, um, um, you know, viruses. And that's just not an issue within their micro their ecosystem, and and so that's one of the big appeals for me. Um, well, plus, the, the, you know, they look gorgeous, basically. Well, the big the big appeal with Apple products, um, and I'm not an Apple fanboy, although I do own quite a few products, is that they always work. That that that's the main thing. They work, and if anything goes wrong, uh, it's usually really easy to fix. I've never once had to go into an Apple store and speak to a genius. Well, th- th- that's probably as well because the, I, I tend to find that they're rather overselling themselves with the, the use of that word. Um, I do agree with this, but at the moment, don't get. In order for this to work for Apple, they either have to make their earphones USB-C compatible to work with MacBooks as they stand, or after five years of whittling connections back on MacBooks. They're going to have to add a second one in the form of a lightning connector. Yes. So I'll be interested to see what they do there. I think I think we're going to have to be courageous and, <laughs> and move things on um, from this conversation. I'm sure we'll come back to it, but it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. Because if it's like anything else that Apple does, that there'll be uh, you know all this hoo-ha for about four weeks, and then everybody forgets. You know, once the phones are out there, and people think, actually, I'm going to go and buy one, like Steve's going to do, then uh, you know he succumbed to the uh, to the PR, basically, haven't you? I have, yes. I'm a sucker for that. Have so. you actually ordered it then, or are you still? Mm, no, it? not yet. No. I mean, my contract's up in November on my current phone, so um, I'll probably do the usual thing of upgrading my phone and passing on the older one to the missus. <laughs> so when we all fly out to um, Las Vegas on that quite long flight. Yeah. Are you um are you going to have some sort of means of charging and listening to your phone at the same time, or have you got some other plan of action? No, I, or... I usually use the in 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 onboard entertainment, watch some films. I watch a lot of movies basically yeah, don't, on flights. Don't, don't tend to listen to music. I have a lot. In fact, the only the only the only thing I use my iPhone for music wise is uh, Tidal. I'll offline a load of stuff and then listen to it in the car through the Bluetooth in the car. I never, I've never plugged a pair of earphones or headphones into my iPhone ever. There you go. I, uh, I have. But I tell you what, I, and this is something I do agree with. People have been complaining. I mean, obviously, if you buy an iPhone Seven, you're gonna, it's gonna come with the uh, earpods and lightning conductor, lightning conductor, <laughs> lightning connector. Um, great. But I do find that those Apple designed, it, regardless of sound quality, they're really uncomfortable to wear. I don't know where it's shaped my ears, but I can't. I, I struggle with most in-ear. Headphones anyway, <laughs> earphones anyway, because I don't know why, but I just find them really uncomfortable. So finding a pair of comfortable earphones for me is the key. And then the connector is really a secondary issue. Anyway, it comes it comes with an adapter, so it's not like it's the end of the world, is it? You can just... <laughs> Well, well, big deal. It's, I really don't. Yeah, it's third, to be honest, I, w- I will say when you say it's not the end of the world, just just two as a weird example, two people in my immediate sort of friends and family turn up to work and the nature of the work they do where they just sort of web and software work they listen to their phones all day 
and they're just char- they have a charger by the desk and away it goes. That immediately is something that the iPhone 7 is going to struggle with. And yeah, it's true. yes, it is a specialist use, but actually there are quite a lot of people that do it. So and if they switch to the AirPod, that doesn't have enough go to last you a working day either. So <laughs> that's not ideal. So talking about the AirPods, um the nextweb.com shareables, they have a um do you remember the original iPod advert from Apple? You know, the people in silhouette yeah, with, with the and, white headphones. The, well, they've got the earbuds in now and they're trying to dance and the earbuds are just flying. <laughs> I'd flying tell you what, they're going to get lost really quickly, aren't they? <laughs> um, I, just, I just looked at it. I looked at them and I thought, my God, my son could eat those in about <laughs> about 35 seconds. It's like you just get to meet other parents in A&E. It's like, oh, so so, so how many of your, how many did he eat? Oh, three. And so it's like... <laughs> yeah, but the thing uh, is, that they, they look like the top of those um, electric toothbrushes as well. So you could see people accidentally picking up the wrong things as well. They are at least suppository shaped, so they should pass through his <laughs> digestive system fairly easily. <laughs> I, Ray, I think we need I, to be courageous and move things on. <laughs> I, on. I really do. I think we need to move things on now. Um, some some breaking news here from uh, from Google, actually. Uh, the breaking news is that the Google Street View, um, they, they blurred the face of a cow um, to protect its identity when they were out... <laughs> It's not the first time they've done that, actually. I, I, I'm assuming they use software to go through these pictures, blurring out people's faces, and it's obviously got confused between a person and a cow. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be racist or anything, but they all look the same to me. <laughs> I, I, I must get really confused that where Ed lives with all those concrete cows knocking about. Is that a real cow? Is that a concrete cow? I think we should do, we should, we should talk more about you know cows' rights, and they do have rights, you know, even before I eat them, and I do like a nice steak. So the thing is, though, they're. they're the thing is, though, they are um, they are the major one of the major causes of uh, global warming through tons of I mean, cows farting. Yes, yes, yes. It's one of the major causes because we eat so many of them and we breed so many of them, and there are so many of them um, that they're a major contributor to the um, global mm, warming. Yeah, I've been to China. I'd say that the cows are the least of our worries. <laughs> as far well, as no, but it's just go. it's just one more ribbon to a vast bow of planetary killing silliness. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, but there is that company in uh, in the Midwest, which strikes me as the strangest place in the world for them to be doing it. But they are the people who are—it's sort of like a Star Trek replicator, except it's not oh anything like a sort of slick as that. But it it constructs meat from long chain polymers, so it's te- technically capable of making a steak, which at no stage in its existence has ever been a cow. Yeah, there was there was that one. It was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? They had the live press conference and they had the burger. Which was made yeah. from synthetic meat. No, thank you. Fine with me, as long as it tastes nice. I can give them monkeys. Well, this is the thing, and ultimately, you can con- actually construct the basic building block, long chain polymers from all manner of stuff. You can. It is real, sort of close cycle. Turn people's mm, into the polymers, and and and, and away you go. Uh, and it also obviously has some fascinating ethical issues for vegetarians, because at no stage in its existence did anything suffer to create it. So <laughs> I like the sound of that. I'll put them in a corner, his smug buggers. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go that far, but it, it, it's, it, it does have it has some fascinating, fascinating conduits. And ironically, um, uh, the, uh, the, there was a final irony. I remember the, the conference about the burger, and they were saying actually it was really quite expensive to do because you ha- you created these very delicate sort of strands of meat, and they actually just put it through a mincer anyway. The irony is that it's less expensive to make 
expensive cuts of meat than it is to make the cheap ones, which <laughs> I thought was really quite quite cool. So um, yeah, that, I mean that that strikes me as fascinating. And you know, if we can cut down on on mechanized farming, that probably ain't going to do us any harm either. So you, you see, folks, uses a lot of oil. You see, folks, the AV Forums podcast. We're always talking about the future. We we've got our fingers on the pulse. And talking about the future, um, there's no sharks, but we're going to talk about lasers again. Um, yes. And Epson are going to update their existing laser projector, Steve. So Epson have finally announced the LS10500, which is the update of the LS10000. Um, not a great surprise because basically the LS10000 already did a lot of the things that you'd wanted to do in a modern projector, but it didn't have um, HDR support and it didn't have an HDMI 2.0A input. Now, given that they just recently released a whole new range of projectors like the CW9300, which have both HDR support and an HDMI 2.0A input. It didn't seem like a great, you know, well-stretched well imagination to see them adding those two features to the existing LS10000, given that it had a relatively high brightness level already and it could do complete 100% of DCI-P3. And sure enough, they have. So basically, they've added HDR and they've added um, um, HDMI 2.0A. So now you can watch HDR content on your um, laser projector. I guess the interesting thing would be whether there'll be any kind of upgrade path for people that already own a 10,000. I mean, they can't really change the HDMI inputs, um, which I think will be the limiting factor as far as uh, HDR goes. But basically what it, what it essentially means is that the 10,500 and the TW9300 are essentially the same projector, but one uses a laser light source and one uses a bulb. And I think also you might find that the uh, color space on the laser projector is definitely wider. I've measured the 10,000 and that could do pretty much 100% of TCI-P3. So um, whether the HDR will look that great is another issue entirely. I and mean, we've obviously talked about this previously with things like the JVC and other projectors that and HDR um, with projectors is a bit of an issue. But I certainly th like the idea of the laser light source. You've got the, uh, the brightness, the consistency, the long lifespan. Um, the wide color space of 100% of DCI-P3, as long as it tracks that correctly within 2020, that's going to be excellent. Obviously, it's not native 4K, but it does have 4K enhancement like the JVCs. And as you and I have discussed previously, Phil, that's probably the least important aspect of um, the image anyway. Uh, and it's 10-bit as well. So I'm sure that once it's released, it's going to be a really impressive projector. And I'm, I guess when you get it in for review, Phil, you can uh, let us know how it performs. But, uh, you know, it's an obvious um, incremental step in terms of laser projection. And it, uh, I believe it's, it's the same price. Now, admittedly, this was based on the US press release. So they said the price would be the same as the previous generations of 10,000 in the US. Now, whether that's going to be the same in the UK, given all the changes in exchange rates recently, I don't know. can't say for sure. But certainly, they can deliver it at the same price. And it's a nice incremental improvement in performance uh, on what is already a really good projector. So um, I think that's good news. And obviously, it means you get access to laser projection at a significantly cheaper price than uh, uh, granted, it's, na it's native 4K in the case of the um, the new JVC, but uh, at least you're going to get many of the aspects that you're getting on that projector for a significantly reduced price. Well, I think you know, it's like 6,000 quid, isn't it? The full um, 4K, I couldn't give a stuff. <laughs> you know, at normal viewing distances, Steve, and we've done the testing and we've had the native 4K projectors in with the JVCs doing, doing their E-shift, and uh, a normal viewing distance from the screen um, it's very, very difficult to tell the difference when it comes to resolution. So the whole native 4K against the, the 4 4K, I'd take a laser projector, 1080p laser projector doing the fake 4K every day of the week. Yeah, I'd, um, I mean, I've, I've got to say that with this new update, it's, it's a very tempting projector because I was well impressed with the 10,000. Um, 
be very curious to see uh, when you get it in for review how it performs with HDR. But um, I mean, you can always wait. There are always ways around that. And uh, um, yeah, I just think that, that, that what's impressive to me and what's very tempting is, is the fact that it can deliver full ten, full the full 100% of DCI-P3. And that means, you know, you're going to get every single color that's in that graded content. So that, that in itself is worth having. Yeah, looking forward to that one. And uh, if it's going to be about £6,000, I think that is a big bargain. And it's something that would tempt me to spend £6,000. And, you know, being a reviewer and having this kit coming in and all the rest of it, I mean, we don't tend to go and buy our own kit anymore because we've got so many things turning around and all the rest of it, Steve. Sometimes it's pointless going out and buying it. Well, for you, it'd be pointless for you to go and buy a TV at the minute with so many yeah. TVs coming through and all the rest of it because you would never get to watch it because you're changing no. one TV to the next TV every every week or every two weeks. And it takes a lot for, for us to actually say, well, I'd actually go and buy that. But that's I've got to say, the Epson laser, uh, you know, that's really tempting, really, really tempting. I think I think it makes a perfect stopgap until we get to a point where you've got affordable laser native 4K projectors um, yeah. with and, much higher brightness levels. Yeah. And let's face it, that's at least another five years away. Mm, yeah, le- absolutely. At least. Um, so people who think it's going to happen quickly, um, it's not going to happen as quickly as the TV market. There's just there's not this, the economies of scale there to make it so. Yeah. so. Um, and the only reason that Sony can can manage to get stuff um, down at the five thousand six thousand pound price mark is uh, is because you know they have got the economies of scale because they make the chips for the for the professional cinema projectors, um, so they have the economies there to get down it. But I still think they'll be losing money at that price point for the three twenty. They've got to be. Yeah, I think there's a loss leader definitely. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's stick with Sony then. Um, the ZD nine. Uh, a lot of promises made at CES, and as always, I think at, at the time at CES we said, "Yeah, well, you know, we don't see this happening. We don't see a four thousand net TV happening this year. We don't think it will be." And of course, it, it isn't a four thousand net TV. Uh, the technology we were shown was was based on a four thousand net prototype. But like we said last week as well, I mean, you can make a prototype look as good as you like because you have, you know, there's nothing forcing you to market. So, um, you know, you can use whatever components you like in it and, and whatever mm-hmm. software you like and make it look as nice as possible. And people who go and do preview reviews of this stuff as well, you, you know, you just, why? It's not it's not a product, yeah. it ain't coming to market. Uh, but anyway, the ZD9 has arrived. It is based on the prototype. But it's obviously a commercial product. It has to hit a price point, Steve. Um, but is it still good quality? Is is it still a good TV? Absolutely, it's a fantastic TV. Um, you're right, Phil. The backlight master drive that was demoed at CES. I mean, clearly, Sony was saying at a thousand uh, local dimming zones and four thousand nits of peak brightness. That is not the case with this TV. In fairness to Sony, when they launched it uh, back in the summer, they did say uh, they wouldn't actually confirm. The number of zones or the peak brightness but the fact they wouldn't do that was suggesting it wasn't going to be the same as the demo as the uh, prototype that they demonstrated um, and sure enough when we got it in for review i actually counted the number of zones and it's 646 which is still a lot by the way i mean that's more than any other tv on the market um the next nearest in terms of zones is the uh, dx902 from panasonic that's got uh, 512 so that's a lot of zones and um, peak brightness-wise, it was over 1,800, 1,800 nits. Again, brighter than any other television so far, we've reviewed so far. Um, so although it perhaps isn't delivering what some people expected based upon the uh, prototype we saw at CES, 
the reality is it's delivering a fantastic performance with more zones and higher peak brightness than any TV we have associated with that, I think. It uses the same design in terms of its looks as them. There are other models like the XD93 and XD94, so it's a very pretty TV. It's got some really nice touches in terms of design. Picture quality is superb. The local dimming is really, really good. And um, whether it's standard dynamic range or high dynamic range content, it was an absolute stunner. I was, I mean, I love the TV. The only thing um, that I don't like about Sony's TVs is the Android TV platform. I find that they either aren't using enough processing power or I don't know what how they're implementing it, but they're really flaky. And I had a couple of crashes and sometimes it doesn't work. And given that I've just been reviewing some from Philips TVs that also use Android TV and have been completely robust and stable and had no issues, something something that Sony are doing in their implementation is screwing it up. But that's that would put me off buying it, to be honest, because I just found it really frustrating. But picture-wise, absolutely stunning. It, it is a little bit expensive, though, this TV, isn't it, Steve? Yes. Well, it's, it's 3999 uh, so 4,000 quid, uh, for a 65-inch TV with some fairly new tech. I mean, we had this debate before, haven't we, about, you know, when you review a lot of expensive televisions, you kind of lose a user perspective a little bit, and sometimes you don't realise things are so expensive. I personally don't think that's a lot of money for a brand-new flagship 65-inch TV. It does put it right in there, though, with the LG OLEDs. It does indeed, but you know, I think that uh, if you're looking at HDR content, um, the, S- the ZD9 is a better performer. So it depends on what's important to you. Um, uh, there's a lot of fa- you know, a lot of plus points to um, to the ZD9 compared to the um, LG OLEDs. Um, you know, even in the same price bracket, I-, I think you know you can make a case for saying that's superior in some respects. And as we've said on previous podcasts, you know, certainly with standard damp range content the uh, OLEDs do look stunning. So, you know, they're, they're great there, not so hot on the HDR. So it's, it's a bit of, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other sometimes. But I think, um, you know, the big problem they've got, Sony have got, is things like the huge discounting that Panasonic had done on DS902. So you're getting, you're looking at, um, you know, 3,000 something now. No, actually, no, sorry, it's less than 3,000 pounds for the 65 inch. Uh, so that's very, very competitively priced at the moment. Uh, even the Samsung uh, K, uh, KS9500 is cheaper. So, you know, it, it is toppy for, for that screen size, no question about it. Um, and, and unfortunately, they're also competing against themselves because they've reduced the price of the 75-inch XC94, which you can now get for about the same amount of money, um, which does make the decision, you know, if you were thinking of buying a TV right now, it does make your decision quite difficult. And unfortunately, I don't have any easy answers. You know, there's, there's no simple solution to this. It's a question of just, you know, looking at what you want in terms of screen size and performance, what's important to you, and then demoing them. But um, yes, some people would have complained about the price. I don't think actually it's that expensive, and I think you'll probably see it drop relatively quickly as we go into Christmas anyway. We said back uh, probably February, March time that we didn't think this year would be the year to go and replace your TV. Now we're in September. Do we still think that? Yeah, I do. More so, actually, because something that hadn't really occurred to me. Um, there's lots of things, you know, if you buy a TV now, don't worry, it's going to be good. And I'm pretty sure most manufacturers, if not all, will upgrade their HDR TVs to cover hybrid log gamma. So that won't be an issue. But having seen some 100p, 120p demos, um, the, the realisation that higher frame rates, which is going to be a factor definitely with broadcast TV going forward, uh, and will make a huge difference to, to people who like watching a lot of sport. I think that could be a big factor. And I suspect we'll see a lot more come CES. We're going to see TVs that uh, I'm not sure whether people talk about um, giant metadata a lot and HDR10 giant metadata. And is, is this a big deal? I think that's less of an issue, personally. I don't think that's a big deal at all. But I think higher frame rates is going to be a big deal. 
and I think we'll see a TVs coming out in CES that do have a higher frame rate panel. And that's going to be a, a big issue. So if you don't need to buy a TV right now, and given where we are in the year, definitely wait to find out what gets launched in the new year. Okay, so that's the Z9. If you want to uh, read the full review, it is on the homepage. So go and have a look at that. And uh, to wrap up on hardware uh, this week, we're going to look at streaming platforms, Ed. Um, all of the streaming platforms. And you're going to tell us what the best playlists are on those uh, right. Well, I'm going to try. I mean, this is a very subjective area, isn't it? But um, essentially, uh, let's kick off with Spotify. It appears to be, I think, still just about the one that most pe more people have than the, any of the others. Uh, if you're not already listening to your own Discover Weekly playlist, then for God's sake, start there. The algorithm that compiles that is terrifying it's really very clever indeed because if you like it's it's 30 tracks and 10 of them you'll go well i've heard that yeah great so on and so forth the other 20 will be you know shots in the dark in an absolute sense it's it's clearly taken quite a lot of thought as to where it might take where you know it's looked at your listening habits and um and then it would examine it quite carefully and it so i've i've discovered some very interesting new music using that um but if you are looking for uh, a playlist i have to admit this is right up my alley um there is a playlist called night rider and it's not as in the television show <laughs> as is in as in uh, n-i-g-h-t um which is uh electronica for the business of driving around not necessarily driving around fast uh it's sort of acknowledged the fact that most of us are stuck in heavy traffic but it's it can be a blind listen uh, and it's updated quite regularly um that is by far and away my favorite spotify playlist of the moment moving on to tidal uh i i don't know about your thoughts on this phil because you're also a title user i think that tidal's curated content has gone off the boil a bit recently. it's been terrible recently i mean i used to love listening to their legend stuff and um the uh, what was the other one? Blips and blobs. It's disappeared. Um, it's it's still there for whatever reason. It doesn't go onto the front page, but it does happen every month if you search for it. Right. Well, you see, that's that's another thing. Then, if they've started taking yeah. that content off the front page, um, no, it used to be that, that I used to always go to the playlist on a Monday and go through the wall and look for stuff. Yeah. And I've got to say, I go now and it's the same stuff. And you're thinking, well, this isn't updating as as often as it should be. Yeah. I completely agree. However, good news. At the time of recording the podcast, I'm pretty sure it'll still be there on Monday, uh, the Rappers Meet Rockers playlist. Um, this is not a hi-fi playlist, but it is an awful lot of fun. Um, if you simply want to make an enormous amount of noise and have quite a good time whilst you're doing it, I would I would entertain uh, 27 tracks, one hour, 47 minutes. You'll be profoundly deaf by the end of it, but you'll be happily deaf. So, uh Yeah. Get, get stuck into I think, that. I think even you, Ed, you'd switch to subwoofer on for that one. I'd I'd make sure that I had some bass at my disposal. Yes, <laughs> no question. Um, <laughs> serious bass. Um, I have spent less time looking at Apple Music. Um, I would say, actually, whilst Apple Music has got some interesting playlists on, they also had still, to the best of my knowledge, have an exclusive on the Frank Ocean album. Now, this is a genre of music I don't swim rivers and climb mountains for. Can't get that excited about it. But credit where credit is due, that is a hell of an album. It's really very, very good indeed. Uh, it's called Blonde, I believe. Um, have a listen to that. It's not a playlist. I'm cheating. 
but yeah get stuck in on that it's a really 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 good album uh i thoroughly enjoyed listening to it i wait to see on what media it is released and i i may well go to the business of of, of making it my own uh probably not on vinyl but i'm <laughs> gonna state that now um, I've, I've got to say um uh, david brent that album is superb if you haven't heard it yet go and listen to that that would be my recommendation because it is absolutely brilliant i thought it was going to be because sometimes comedy and music just doesn't work and and it's such a subjective thing music and comedy um, yes but it, it is absolutely superb i love yeah, it yeah it is the good songs well produced and very funny and, and i think so. i think it's because it's from the we're going to play this dead serious angle that it actually works well, yes. Um, I also think slightly that Ricky Gervais is a frustrated, failed pop star, and you. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much of it is a joke <laughs> and how much of it is real. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got to the stage he's now where, where, where he can be a pop star, isn't he? He's got to that that point where his popularity can can sell records. Yeah, if we're doing exactly. album recommendations, from my perspective, uh, I would also say the new. No, one no, no, from no, no. You got, you got, you got to keep that for the end of the month. Week. It's playlists. Okay, oh, okay, fine. Right. Well, um, I'm afraid I haven't had a look at Amazon Music. Uh, if you are an Amazon Music subscriber, good luck to you, um, and so on and so forth. <laughs> but across the, the the three, which seem to hold the bulk of subscriptions, those would be those would be my choices. So, uh, Night Rider, uh, Rockers meets Rappers, and uh, Frank Ocean on uh, Apple Music. Yeah, and Night so, Rider, Night Rider could be taken completely the wrong way, couldn't it? So, uh, anyway, thanks very much for your recommendations, Ed. We'll be back in a sec with movie news. And I'm saying movie news because uh, um, we're we're now well we're Friday the sixteenth. This goes out on the nineteenth. Mm. I have I have not been, <laughs> I've not been to the cinema yet. <laughs> what a surprise! It's it's minus seventeen ninety nine in that column at the moment. Oh dear! <laughs> I'm going this weekend to see Bridget Jones's Babies. Oh, oh God. Jesus Christ! You sat on my card. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you've got the Magnificent Seven out there on Friday. Um, yet another remake, of course, because Hollywood seems to be bereft of ideas, at least when it comes to their big budget stuff. Um, if you haven't seen the original film, it is a mighty western. I, I never thoroughly seen it. recommend it. It's got. A... I'll put my hands Please up. Please watch it. I'll put my hands up. Never seen it. Okay, it's fantastic. It's got an amazing cast, uh, brilliant score, and it is great fun. I mean, obviously, let's not forget this was also a remake because the Magnificent Seven, the original film, was a remake of the Seven Samurai. But at least they took a samurai movie and turned it into a western and this is just a straight remake of this with Denzel Washington in the Yul Brenner role so but in that case if we're doing this then it has already been remade because Battle Beyond the Stars exists yes, as well in space but that was in space <laughs> so that's fine and, and even had Robert Vaughan playing the same character in both films um <laughs> But if you do get a chance to watch the original Magnificent Seven, and I might well watch it again this weekend, um, make sure you keep an eye on Steve McQueen. Absolutely hysterical the way that he deliberately steals every single scene he's in. Because even if he hasn't got any dialogue, he's sat next to say, your Brenner, your Brenner's talking. McQueen will be fiddling with his hat and anything to draw your attention to him. And it, you can see it really pissing off your Brenner. So watch that. Always good for a laugh. It's getting good reviews, actually. I've seen a couple of reviews pop up got the uh, cast. on Twitter. I mean, um, it's, I, I think, uh, the angle has been it's one of the better remakes. Good. I will certainly get around to seeing it at some point. If not at the cinema, then probably on Ultra HD Blu-ray. But you've got a limitless cut, so you'll have to go and see it. So, mm. I, I, I'll tell you what. 
I'll still be minus seventeen ninety nine if my choice is Bridget Jones. <laughs> well, Fair um, well, I will definitely be going to cinema before the end of the month because I will be going to see Doctor Strange at the end of this month. So, uh, and I'll Doctor- be doing that on a midnight screening so I can talk about it in the podcast. Good for you. Whilst very drowsy, yeah, but it's it's usually good Ed because other people can get a word in edgeways then. This is true. <laughs> Although when are just the three of us, we we, we are we, we're propped up by with us. Well, you're supposed to bring your A game. Uh well, yeah. I, 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 it's it. You know, without going into unnecessary detail, I think it's a miracle we're audible at all. So you know, let's, let's take it, take uh, it yeah, from there. Obviously, um, I don't know what it's going to sound like once we get this edited. But if if um, if it's a case of I can't fix it, then the, obviously we've had electrical storms all over the country. Um, on the Thursday night, we're recording this on the Friday, and we have had major problems keeping um, this call going on Skype. Lots of dropouts and all the rest of it. Lots of um, words that suddenly go from frog. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, if it sounds if it sounds okay, then we've we've performed a miracle. Um, Blu-rays this week, Steve. Well, at least. Um Whilst the big budget stuff seems to be bereft of any original ideas, at least with the smaller budget, more independent features, there seem to be some interesting things going on out there because we've got Green Room coming out uh, today on the on the Monday. And I actually saw that last week and it's an excellent film. Um, basically, the concept is it's a punk band playing a, a bar full of neo-Nazis and um, they accidentally see a murder and then get trapped in the green room and have to fight their way out. And um, it's really good. It's uh, kind of a... you could. I guess you could call it a horror film to some respects, um, or a thriller mixture of the two. Sound, but it, sounds a bit it, it, um, I, sounds a bit dusk till dawnish. Without vampires, yeah, without, without the vampires, instead. obviously it's just Nazis. Yeah, same things. Yeah, bit, it is a bit like that actually. Uh, that's not that's not a bad way of, of pitching it. And um, but I, th- I thought I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It does make a few left turns. It doesn't. It's not completely predictable. Um, and it is very gruesome in places, uh, but I did enjoy it. I thought it was good, so worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Green Room, um, although I should warn you, it deserves its 18 rating. Uh, Friend Request, which is a horror film. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of horror films and a lot of films generally these days that are reflecting modern times, social media, uh, and this is one of those. I haven't seen it yet, but um, you know, I, I appreciate that. It, I guess if you're writing a film these days, you're kind of thinking like, how do I incorporate things like social media or if you're trying to write a thriller, your first thought must be, how do I get rid of the mobile phone? Because I, I think I noticed a lot of films now are being set in the past, <laughs> like, you know, in the 70s or 80s, because that must be the first thought is, damn, how do I get rid of mobile phones? Because otherwise they just call the cops. Uh, anyway, that's out, friend request. And also out this week, hol- a hologram for the king, um, which is one of those sort of um, minor Tom Hanks movies in between the big budget films like, you know, Inferno, which comes out in a few, couple of weeks. He does uh, these smaller scale movies and... Um, uh, and, you know, generally they're, they're still good, though. I mean, Tom Hanks is always a quality act. Uh, never does a bad performance, really, in my, in my opinion. And um, I haven't actually seen it, but Kaz did say that uh, it was a, a quality small-scale um, Hanks movie about a guy, basically, who's in the desert trying to sell technology to, a, um, you know, an Arab sheikh. So um, worth checking out if you're a Tom Hanks fan. I, I'm, I haven't seen him in anything decent since Captain Phillips, I think. Uh, I, I thought he was excellent in... Um, uh, where's the one where he plays Dan? Where he plays Walt Disney? Saving Mr. Banks. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed that on the plane, but I I, th- I think it's it it's not very cinematic, if you know what I mean. It's it, it's very much a Sunday afternoon on the TV type movie. Um, Saving Mr. Banks, I thought it was still enjoyable though. Uh, but I think yeah. his best his best performance um, recently was Captain Phillips. I, I can't. Yeah, he was superb in that. Yeah, absolutely superb. And it's a really good film too. I mean, nail biting. 
absolutely nail-biting. Uh, the last 40 minutes of that film. Ooh, did did you see on American television, obviously, as part of the PR bump for this Casey Sullenberger film he's doing, that Casey Sullenberger was doing him in Castaway? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It was actually surprisingly funny. Because I actually nothing... looking forward to that. Nothing I'd seen in interview. I mean, don't get me wrong. The man is clearly an extraordinary pilot and incredibly level-headed. But nothing had struck me up to that point. He was actually in some way, shape or form a comedy genius. But it's, you know, there you are. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah, that is actually one of the upcoming films that I am looking forward to, Sully, which um, I didn't know anything about, really, until I saw a trailer for it. But Clint Eastwood's directing it. Tom Hanks, obviously, is playing the part. And uh, obviously, it goes into more than just the flight itself, but also the after effects. And well, that, the hope, after- I hope so, because the flight was only three minutes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How disappointed are various small children going to be when they realise it's not about the one, the monster? Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't have any spots at all. <laughs> who's, who's playing the part of the geese? <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. If this was seventies film, they'd have you know flung a couple through a jet engine, you know, soldier blue style. Uh, but I dare say that CGI will take up the strain on on, on this one. If it was the seventies, the plane would have then they would have then gone through another plane, and then you know, was it the airport movies where one of them they is a fantastic. small plane flying into a seven four seven, sticking out the side of it? Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, but I'd be interesting. I mean, uh, I have to say, I always thought that um, the air crash investigation uh, episode on that. Uh, it was landing. superbly I was done. CGI yeah. was superbly done on that. They might as well just lift it straight from that and get on with the job. It was. It's probably one of the best air, air crash investigations. That they obviously spent a lot of time and effort on that because it looked fantastic. It really did. New series of that due soon as well. And let's face well, it. Let's face it. There's plenty. There's, yeah, there's plenty to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't actually mentioned the big news this week, though, and forget everything else. Obviously, the massive news this week has been that the BBC have lost Bake Off. I mean, that's just huge. Massive mistake from the part of um, Channel 4, I think. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What's Bake Off and why is this significant? Oh, Philip. As if, as if. It's, it's well, it appears quite bizarrely to have become a national institution. Um, I mean, as I say, I, no one's coming out of this looking particularly <laughs> good. Let's be honest. Um, I mean, the thing that I do find quite staggering across all of this is that Although the BBC has made it their own, they were unable to come up with the idea of 12 people cooking in a tent themselves. <laughs> well, you see, the, the problem... That's why they don't own it. Well, the problem with the BBC now is everything is outsourced. And the major... Ah, uh, yeah, but there's and... outsourced and there's and there's bought in full stop. For example, and I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they own the rights to MasterChef. They have another company make it for them, but the BBC can't lose MasterChef in the conventional sense because they own the yeah. rights yeah, to Yeah, well, the, the same, the same the happened. Great British Bake Off, it's not the same thing. They bought it in, in, in lock, stock and barrel. Yeah. Okay, I, I get your point. It's like Top Gear because Clarkson actually owned that, but the BBC bought it back and that's yeah. why they, they've still got the rights to it. Yeah, so the big issue for Clarkson now is that um, with their new Grand Tour, there's certain phrases and things that they are not going to be able to say it, otherwise the BBC is going to sue them. So things like anything that they've done in terms of challenges and so on, where they've used phrases like such a beautiful country and other other things that you would think would be just things that you would say, yeah. um, they're going to have to be so careful because if they've done it in Top Gear, the BBC are likely going to sue them. There might be phrases and tons, tons of phrases and stuff that Claxon just and, and Co just can't say because of that. And the other big news 
which I think is bigger than Bake Off actually, is that the government are now going to force the BBC, it's now part of the charter, to tell uh, or to publish uh, the wages of uh, executives and stars over 150 grand. That, in terms of competition, is absolute commercial suicide. It's true. I mean, I guess as, as a public company, uh, you know, publicly run institution, shall I say, um, uh, it is interesting to see you know, what, what they are paying people because essentially, essentially, as employees of the BBC, they are basically civil servants. So that's right. I would like to see how much Mary Berry is getting for um, Bake Off. Um, I do think that of all the people out of the whole debacle with Bake Off, Mel and Sue came out of it quite well with their um, press release where they said they wouldn't be going to Channel 4. They won't be taking the dough, which I thought was quite a good gag. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess you know, when you're paying, um, you know, stars and celebrities, you know, the, the talent, I mean, a lot of, and as Channel 4, I think, are about to find out, unless they can, A, keep, the talent involved, so poor Hollywood, Mary Berry, and obviously not Men and Sue now, by the sounds of it, um, without things like Extra Bake Off with Joe Brand or Bake Off Extra, whatever it's called, um, without the fat lack of advertising breaks. I mean, I just think, you know, it's a BBC, up until now, it's been a BBC show and, and therefore a bit of a, you know, an institution in a way. And, and and that kind of thing works on the BBC. I don't think it works so well on commercial channels with advertising breaks. And, and I think that, that ultimately Channel 4 may find that they spunked away a fair bit of money there that they're not going to recoup. Um, I don't care. We'll, we'll see, I guess. It's I don't an interesting care. one. Can I just give a hat tip to the guy in general chat on AV forums? Uh, there's a Bake Off thread running because obviously we discuss all the critical matters in general chat. Um, <laughs> and it's conversation turned to what the BBC might do to replace it. And I, if anyone from the BBC is listening, they need to get in touch with this guy immediately because he came up with a program called Get Your Kit Off. <laughs> um, and it's based in a sort of shed or man cave style arrangement. And each week, contestants have to assemble either an Airfix, a Revel, or a Tamea model kit, or perform a specific challenge around that. And then it whittles down to you know the best best model kitter in the United Kingdom under time pressures. I would watch the shit. I would out definitely of that. watch that. That sounds right up my <laughs> I'd, street. I'd sue them for false advertising. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'd be expecting um, something completely they, different. But then when you said get your kit off, and I'm thinking, oh, Channel 4's already done that dating show where it might be Channel 4 or Channel 5. But they've already. Oh, have, you, have you seen that show? No, I've um, never watched it. it right? Is it Naked Ambition or something? So excruciating. It's just like we really have reached the seventh level of hell now, haven't we? It's like anything goes on television now. It's just whatever. Get your cock out. It's just gone. <laughs> I'm fine, thanks, Steve. It's all right. <laughs> I, um, that, that's, that was another one for Top Gear. Cock. James May can no longer say cock. Oh, really? I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Has I Grand have a, Tour... lot, a lot of time for James yeah, May. Yeah, he's all right, actually. He's better than the others. Is, is Grand Tour actually started? Is it on? Uh, it's, no, no. It's I think it's October, end October, I think, is the rumour. I think it's just in time for my Prime subscription to run out. <laughs> So, oh bollocks! I'll have to pay more money. Yeah, I mean TV. It's I think the best TV is actually not on TV at the minute. Um, I think it's on the streaming services, and uh, there's there's been a few things lately um, in terms of trending stuff like Stranger Things. We've been talking about that recently. Absolutely fantastic television series. Again, not on TV though, not on terrestrial TV. And we've had other things like Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad and loads and loads of others that I could sit here and list, all of them being produced not for the terrestrial channels, though. Interesting. 
Have you seen the um, trailers for the remake of Westworld on Sky? Yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. I'm really up for that. <laughs> it looks really good. Um, is that on so, Sky Atlantic, is it? Yeah. 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 I'll have to get no TV again, won't I? We will, oh, we will, because we've got Walking Dead coming up. We've got um, Westworld, um, American, Horror, Horror, American Horror Story. Um, what else is coming up? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back. There's a whole host of TV coming back over the next um, next few months. But you're right, Phil. There's some really, really good stuff coming up on on, on streaming too. I mean, there's Luke Cage, which is the next Marvel series on, on Netflix, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that... Um, we talk about, I mean, broadcast TV still is very important and it still does get a lot of, you know, people talk about like this week, obviously, Bake Off's been national, <laughs> national news. Um, but if you look at, uh, if you look at the actual stuff that ranks in terms of tweets and things like that, you know, the, the king by miles is still Game of Thrones, which is the, you know, the, the most talked about TV series. I, I, um, I'm, I'm interested uh, to time, see, I'm interested to see what's going to happen because there's only two more seasons, is there? Or is there just mm, one more there, season? Yeah. Um, two. So, you know, what happens when it's finished? You know, it's... spin-offs. It'll be interesting to see what HBO do do. In general, HBO have been quite decent about shows. So, for example, you know, even their big hits like The Sopranos or The Wire, they 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 stopped at a certain point and that was it. They haven't been tempted to do things like sequels or prequels or spin-offs. Um, thank God. Game of Thrones has been so successful for them, though. You do wonder what they'll do. I mean, there'll be a, must be a massive temptation to uh, delve, if I need to delve into backstories, because there's so much in the books and behind the scenes in the past, and obviously they can't cover in the series. So, you know, I bet they'll be tempted, but hopefully they won't go down that route because, you know, spin-offs can diminish. I mean, if you look at the other really talked about series is Doctor Who. Doctor Who is still, you know, a global phenomenon for the BBC and massive money earner for the BBC, who they do own that one. But that's had loads of spin-offs. And I think Perhaps got you know it's certainly when Russell T Davis was running this running the series it had too many it had you know it had Torchwood it had um, the Sarah Jane uh, adventures um, there was going to be one with Rose Tyler which they eventually thought that no, we're going over it's too much now um, I think it dim- it can diminish the value of the actual main series if they keep uh, doing too many spin-offs yeah it, it's like the Stranger Things thing um, I, I wanted them just to stop there it's like no. Just stop. Don't do anything else. Um, you're saying that it's going to be different storylines, though, going forward. So it's going to be a bit more. Apparently, um, yes. It so will be the same cast, but a different, a new, completely new story. Um, it's what I've read up to now. I mean, I think what they should do is what they do do on American Horror Story, which is that they uh, retain the cast, but each season is a completely different story, completely. And, and that's a great way of you know keeping the whole thing going without actually having to do. You know, because obviously a lot of TV series they just flog that concept to death, don't they? To the point where you know, by season seven, you're like, oh god, this has jumped the shark. Um, but but they kept American Horror Story fresh by by uh, having a different story each season, but just by using the same actors. Uh, and they they've tried the same. They've, they've tried well, not the same actors. But they certainly tried with uh, true detective true detective thank you yeah, true detective season one awesome season two not so much um so maybe that wasn't such a great idea <laughs> yeah that's that's my worry there do you think with bake off ed do you think they'll, they'll end at like blake seven <laughs> someone shoots mary berry <laughs> <laughs> they just all, they, they all they all die yeah well the last episode of this season they just burn the tent at the end and just <laughs> scream at the camera you know bit, mary berry stabbing poor hollywood <laughs> <laughs> bit more vis- bit more visceral we shall see um i mean the thing is even without remotely infringing on the premise of the great british bake-off 
you know, my wife and I, because we're sad, in a 15-minute conversation in the car, came up with at least six viable baking alternative shows that we would be happy to discuss with the BBC if they if they felt so inclined. <laughs> Tarts and crumpets. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for those of us uh, uh, you know who can separate food from sex, or in, in Withers' case, anything from sex, we, we, we've got some ideas. So you know, I, I don't, I, I personally suspect that the Bake Off will, su- as Phil, uh, sorry, as Steve said, will suffer as it moves to Channel Four because you know it's very BBC-oriented format has to alter. Um, but I think that actually the next big thing will will appear without any any significant intermission. This time next year, the BBC will have come up with something that makes us feel all warm, fluffy and middle class inside and all will be well with the world. And I sa- sure certainly won't be watching it, whatever it is. Um, one thing I will be watching, but not until May now, uh, is the new Star Trek series, Steve. Yeah, um, that was supposed to start in uh, in January. This is being produced by CBS for their uh, all-access streaming service in the States. Uh, and it's going to be shown here in the UK on Netflix each week. And... Um, yeah, it was supposed to start in, in January, but it's been pushed back to May. Uh, apparently, because they, they need more time for post-production and effects, which is fair enough. I mean, you're talking about a, a sci-fi series set in space, and I think they want to deliver a quality product, and they've realised they need more time in order to do that. Yeah, and I mean, also, they, I think they, when they, they did a brief teaser that everyone moaned about the effects looking a bit rubbish. Yeah, well, it, it looked so, like, um, uh, it looked like um, Tron from the 1980s, the, the special did effects, shit, didn't, didn't it? It, it did, mm. yeah. So, Was uh, it Babylon 5 excellent? <laughs> basically yes <laughs> better um but series itself um given who's involved um i mean i believe they're still casting so they haven't even started shooting yet but apparently they've got the first three scripts written and the whole first season planned out um 13 episodes starting in may and uh you know i'm looking forward to it. i mean it's interesting i think i um if you look at the movies the rebooted films that have been done recently um so star trek star trek in the darkness and now star trek beyond if you look at their actual performance at the box office it's not that good uh, i think star trek beyond's made 370 400 million tops it made it cost 180 million to make so paramount are barely breaking even on that um especially when they throw in the you know marketing costs and everything so you know you've got to wonder whether they're going to continue making films uh um, if there's not any money in it for them, unless they're making a lot of money on ancillary sales. But you've got to think, it's, it's spiritual homes on TV. And if they can do a really good TV series with good production values and good stories, uh, I think I'd rather see that than, than the movies, to be honest. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's a good idea to shelve things for a little while and build up the yeah. you know enthusiasm for it and expectations and stuff. Um, sometimes it's good to do that, especially with something that's been around for 50 years. Um yeah, it's uh, for a lot of that fifty years though. There was nine new, um, so no, I mean it worked pretty well for Star Wars, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, although, although two billion the, dollars. Know, although you know the 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 fear there is that they're going to overdo it because Disney tend to over egg everything. Um, yeah, I mean they could well end up doing. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically killing their golden goose a bit by doing too many films, too many series, too many this, too many that, too many books, too many whatever. Uh, and diminishing the value of the, of the core product, the which goes is, back to though, the thing about spin-offs and everything like that. But. Given the enthusiasm that you two have consistently demonstrated for the new material, I, I do think that they could get to an or, an awful, awful loss of output before you even you, you guys went, do you know what, enough of this, well, stop. You, well, you see, yet again, Ed, we're talking about Star Trek and it suddenly goes to Star Wars. Well, <laughs> we we yes, did this last so. week, we were talking about the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and before you knew it, we were on to Star Wars. So there you go. 
It's it's interesting. I haven't I haven't seen any of the trailers for the Star Trek Discovery thing. I mean, I'm I'm quite looking forward to it. I just I I don't know. There are so many weird um, sort of. I mean, in terms of the next generation actually coming back and rebooting the whole Star Trek premise for a, a complete new group of people, in so many ways it does come across that a lot of that was related to blind luck. I mean, let's face it, Patrick Stewart was not an... If you just looked at it objectively, he wasn't a logical go-to person to do... And he wasn't convinced it was going to work either. And, it, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you now look at it and think, well, that's just... It just makes perfect sense. I mean, the, the sort of gravitas and a bit of Shakespearean sort of influence and so forth works brilliantly. I just hope that someone's had the mental leap to do something imaginative again and give it some standalone chops and, and that it works properly. Yeah. It, because it's just, just my worry is that they'll be a bit too safe. It's a strange title as well, you know, Star Trek Discovery. It's like Star Trek Shark Week or Star Trek Yukon <laughs> Men or Star Trek Wheeler Dealers. Oh, no, that would be... F- Oh, that would be brilliant. Star Trek, Wheel of Dealers. Harry Mudd in it. <laughs> Presented by Harry Mudd. <laughs> could, could you imagine that, Ed? <laughs> what, kick, kicking, kicking through the second-hand starship market? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, here's here's a, a phase disruptor. Uh, we're we're going to... It's it's from the 70s. We're going to update this and uh, see if we can make a profit. Here you go, Ed. <laughs> Hold out your hand. <laughs> And I'll blow it off. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as I say, crossover television always has the uh, the potential to be uh, magnificent, doesn't it? So uh, we shall see. But no, I mean, as I say, I just hope that there's a little bit of ambition involved in it. Um, and I don't mean that in a monetary sense. I just mean in a in you know a higher concept stuff. Yeah. And we'll see what comes of it. So you know, yeah. just, we, we just need sit back, wait until May. We need actors who have a little bit more facial expression than Will Riker as well. Yeah, that, that was that, that was a double act, wasn't it? You had the overacting of Patrick Stewart, and then you had Will Riker, who only ever had the one look. Make I mean, so some of the one. stuff, some of the stuff he does in the episodes is just perfect. Okay, so there you go. And on that bombshell, that's it for the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Well, the graveyards are full of boys who are very young and very proud. Ed Selly. We lost. We always lose. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for the latest reviews, news and video. And of course, why not leave us those five-star ratings on iTunes and we'll read them out eventually at some point when we remember. So do that for us and leave them there. Probably next week. (laughs) Might be. Might be next week. Who knows? Tune in to find out. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week.